shock treatment has been given for depression for something like 40 years now. It's a very successful and uh, useful treatment for severe depression that doesn't respond to other things. But depatterning is a use of electroshock treatment in a totally different way, in which instead of giving the shocks, say, two or three times a week, uh, they're given two or three times a day for three or four weeks, reducing the patient to a sort of animal, vegetable state from which it's hoped that they would recover in a, a, a more healthy state of mind. All right, folks, welcome on back to another episode of Shock Treatment with Mel and Maddie. We have quite, uh, quite a fantastic treat for y'all this evening. Uh, we have a very talented filmmaker up on the come up. Um, I believe we met him at Rock and Shock in 2017, I think. Um, you know, he doesn't quite do straight horror films. They're kind of like uh, exploitation, revenge movies, like uh, from like the 70s, exploitation-y. They're really cool. They're really super gory. The gore is always there. Um, and great that's stuff. What like. That's what I like about like foreign films anyways. The, the blood splatter and the kill scenes are always so much more intense because their rating systems are different than ours. Right, right, yeah. It's... Uh, the Asian culture, I always said, they kind of take a little more pride in the, in the in their work. I think, uh, especially when it comes to filmmaking, that's why you'll see all this really stylized stuff. And in Karando's films, who we're getting a new uh, Karando Mitsutaki uh, is about to be on the show here, and we're going to dive in. And here he is. Well, well, well. Right on time. Time is of the essence. It always works for us in our favor, unless we're dying. And then it's a troublesome thing. Yeah, definitely. Hello, hello. Hello. Karando. How are you guys? Yes, sir. Doing good. How you doing, man? Very good. Do you see me or am I... Uh, we you don't see me, my friends. Okay, hold on. Um, I might have to offer up a... Um, a kidney? Asked. I don't have any more kidneys. <laughs> I gave them all away. Okay, hold on. Here we go. There you are. Oh, right. well, here we go. We got you how now. are you guys? Good. How are Doing you? Doing great. Great, great. Maddie, did you notice he's wearing a Carrie t-shirt? I did. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very fantastic. We're doing an episode tomorrow on Carrie for a different show. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Love it. We're all we're New Englanders, though, in the the, the world of Stephen King. So we're we're dipping into like uh, all the folklores and tales that he's told throughout his days. Type. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So, uh, name's gone. We all venture Perfect. on in. We Beautiful. Thank on you. In. All right. Thank you for having me, guys. Oh, thanks for doing it, man. Thank you for doing it. Um, we'll start off with, I, I think that we, the first time, we met you, I believe it was at Rock and Shock in 2017, okay. was it? Or eight? I believe so, yeah. I think 17, yeah. Um, coming around. And uh, that was great. You know what I mean? It's always good to see, like, you know, meet meet new, f- new soon to be familiar faces. You know what I mean? At these things, right? Uh, yeah, know. it's too bad Rock and Shock, uh, you know, ended. Yeah, I, know? I, I think they're doing another one though. I think they're like starting up. Oh, sp- that's great! Cool. Yeah, so hopefully we can get you back in town. Nice. Yeah, there's, yes. there's a there's a new convention that's going to be going on in October. That's. Uh, the same weekend that Rock and Shock used to be. Okay. 
And there's a rumor on the rumor mill right now that Scarecon actually might be back mm. next year as well. So there'll be at least a couple on the Upper East Coast that cool. uh, hopefully will replace the ones that we've lost. Right. Yeah, Scarecon would be good. That's a good con. Okay, great. Got you there. We'll bring you in. We'll bring you in. Yeah. For sure. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's not, it wasn't as big as Rock and Shock was yet because it hasn't, it hadn't been around on the Upper East Coast as like Massachusetts area. It would, it was only on its third year prior to COVID hitting. So they hadn't really had the opportunity to expand on it. So it's still Mm -hmm. a relatively small, so it's like more intimate. You actually get to talk to your fans. They they can actually get to talk to you, and you know you're not trying to like scream over and why you have a two hour wait for a line behind right. you. Right. Oh, that's great. I mean, you know, we we didn't have any fan conventions last year, so you know, it's it'll be nice to see them come back. Yeah, definitely good. You know, we have a lot of filmmakers on here. We often talk about like. You know, the, the last couple years of steam, you know, that people have kind of gathered going to these cons and the whole, there's a whole machine to keeping right. your, your name on the tongue of the audience and keeping your film in front of them and stuff. And, you know, wherever we're talking to, you know, we're hoping it's not too much of a impact, you know what I mean? But uh, that everybody will follow suit as things, the doors open up. Right. Yeah, we think they will. Cool. You know what I mean? <coughs> Do you have any projects in the works prior to the onset of COVID that you had to halt on? Well, uh, yes, I, I I was preparing for my uh, feature number six, and uh, we were slated to uh, shoot it in the uh, uh, April of 2020, and uh, so that was you know that was the beginning of the uh, uh, pandemic, yeah, and yes. yeah. And, uh, you know, I was just so, uh, devastated that I didn't know if, uh, they're going to cancel it or, uh, postpone it. You know, I, I mean, I had this kind of, uh, you know, suspenseful, uh, several weeks, uh, till the, uh, the, my producers made the decision, but l- luckily, uh, they didn't pull the plug on it. Uh, they postponed it and, uh, uh, so, uh, we were, we are slated to shoot that, uh, this, uh, this October. So, but yeah, so I was, I was really devastated because this was the, my first, uh, uh, Japanese studio movie. And, uh, you know, we worked so hard to, uh, put it together last three years, basically my, 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 you know, creative partner and I, um, you know, worked really hard to, uh, get this launched. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was, I was really, uh, in bad shape when, uh, we couldn't, we couldn't go on shooting it, but, uh, thankfully, uh, it got postponed, not not canceled. Yeah, that's always a good thing. But I, yes. I mean, I, I see the kind of work that everybody puts into their film projects. So to know that you know you had everything ready to go, and then you get to the last second that you can't do it. Yeah, I could see why you would be heartbroken. I would be too. Oh, it's you know the film industry. You know, I mean, true independent. You know, smaller scale productions a little bit different, but. Uh, you know, once you try to get the money from uh, investors or studios and stuff like that, it's basically, you know, the, the film industry's horrible uh, business practice is basically hurry up and wait. You know, like you have to, you, you're uh, asked to do everything quickly, you know, like quickly deliver the synopsis, quickly deliver the uh, script, 
casting list and whatnot. But uh, then, you know, money people, they, they don't mind make you wait forever, you know. So, uh, you know, you, you get into the waiting game. And, uh, you know, that, that's, the, that's, the, that's, that's, you know, horrendous part of the film business without pandemic, you know. And <laughs> with the pandemic, it just got worse. Yeah, because they figure, oh, well, what are you going to do? You know, you, they've got everything from you that they need. So yeah. you're not, you, you want to get your film made. So where are you going to go? You're just going right. to wait and wait that you have no choice but to wait them out. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's all the fun in the film industry. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I'm, I'm turning all gray because I'm having so much fun. I know. Karando that's just, that's just called the stress of COVID because I'm the same way with you, my yeah. friend. <laughs> so we're going to crack into it, get into it. We start off, you know, we love your films, man. It's great to have you here and talk about it. Um, for anybody that's not fully hip to Karando's movies, you're going to be by the end of this. Um, Thank you. The best way to kind of describe them is they're kind of like, homage to like like 70s exploitation um samurai uh the gore is like awesome it's off the wall the, i love the gore with because it's like you'll see movies nowadays where like and you, you can't really i don't know if you, you i wouldn't you know label them horror films you know what i mean i want to put them in the horror genre but even like like horror, horror, the gore and horror genre and even like in other genres nowadays they don't go there with it but he does, which is nice, which I like to see. You know what I mean? Thank you. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I'm, a, I'm a product of uh, 80s, uh, you know, video, rental video culture. You know, that's, that's when uh, I grew up. And uh, um, so, you know, uh, rubber effects, you know, like the uh, special effects, you know, Dick Smith, uh, Tom Savini, uh, they, were, they were my heroes. And... Uh, um, so, you know, definitely when I start making movies, uh, I wanted to do the special effects heavy movies. Uh, as you said, yeah, I, I haven't really uh, done a, a full-on horror movie yet. Uh, actually, I, I did the Japanese Jalo uh, Italian uh, horror-esque movie uh, in Japan uh, back in 20, 2019, just before the pandemic. And uh, uh, that... that you know, post-production for that movie, that's my feature number five, but uh, that pr uh, post-production for that needed to be halted uh, because I couldn't uh, fly back to Japan to finish the post. And uh, so we ended up uh, finishing it uh, remotely uh, last year, at the end of last year. So it's uh, now we are looking for distribution companies, and I think we just secured uh, US, U.S. distribution. So hopefully uh, by the end of this year, my full-on horror movie is going to come out here. But, uh, uh, yeah, so, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of special effects, physical, uh, you know, uh, practical uh, special effects. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I love gore effects. So my, my, my films are full of it, yeah. yeah. It's funny, you bring up, uh, you know, the VHS. We're a lot of VHS kids, you know what I mean, coming up in the 80s and the 90s and stuff. And uh, uh, born in Japan, right? Yes. Now... How, what was the what was the VHS culture like over there? I know over here it was like it was like sub shops pretty much that were turned into like rental stores. You know what <laughs> right, I mean? right, uh, right. What you guys have over there? How was that? It's, it's it's practically the same thing, you know, like a corner, you know, a mom and pop dry cleaner would you know suddenly turn into rental video house, 
you know, um, in a small little, you know, area, you would have rental video, mom and pop uh, video stores on every corner, you know, that type of thing. Um, you know, then, then a little later, you know, like a big, uh, uh, franchise chain store, uh, came on and stuff. But, you know, in the beginning of time, it was, uh, small mom and pop stores. And, uh, um, you know, Japanese are crazy. We didn't have any, uh, film rating system back then in the 80s. So, you well, know. What I was saying to Matt, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I was that's okay. saying that to Matt is that I love the, I love foreign films for that reason because you guys have a little more leeway to get that gore factor going because of the rating systems over there. Right. It, uh, yeah. I mean, it's good or bad. You know, I mean, uh, look how I turned out. Maybe it's a bad thing, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so, you know, I could just, the 12 year old me, I could just walk into any video store and get the goriest, you know, Italian horror movie, like a Fulci's zombie or something, uh, with, with no ID check and stuff. And, uh, so, you know, I was exposed to, uh, you know, it, a lot of, Italian uh, horror movies with ultra gores, um, some of American stuff, of course. And, uh, you know, American rated R movies were available in Japan with no, no, you know, ID check. So, yeah, I was exposed to, um, I was exposed to, you know, like relatively like a hardcore, uh, gory movies, uh, pretty young, you know, like 12, 13, very impression, impressionable time. Yeah, what, yeah. What's one that you can remember watching as a kid that, to this day, sticks out to you the most? Well, I think I was really like kind of a my uh, eureka moment. Like, oh wow, this is this is like the genre movie that I love, and uh, I I got you know I need more of these things. I think the eye opener for me was Reanimator. I actually just rewatched that and it's, you know, people, people sleep on that movie. You know, they figure because of the company that it's from that, it, you know, it's just a bad B horror movie, but it's <laughs> so well done. And even if it does have its moments where it's like, Oh, come on, this is ridiculous. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's the effects are tight and, uh, you know, it's got the right amount of uh, uh, gore and uh, uh, comedy and also uh, uh, erotic uh, el- element, you know. Yeah. And uh, so it's kind of like sex, death, and rock and roll with a lot of gore. You know, it's, I, I really I think, think it's a one of the pinnacles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think it's, it really kind of symbolizes the 80s uh, genre film. Uh, yeah, so I, I love that movie, and that that really opened up the doors for me. And uh, you know, of course, I was a uh, you know teenage, young teenage boy. You know, like I was like mesmerized with the old uh, gore and the nudity. You know, in in those movies, and I, I was instantly fucked. <laughs> I can't understand why. I know, <laughs> I know, I know that there's definitely a, a reanimated reference in. Uh, Karate Kill, of course, with the the syringe. Oh, the, the, the shot, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did I hear to go back to the like the 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 ratings board? Did I hear a story about like uh, in your local neighborhood or so there was like a serial killer or something like that that like killed some ladies and then they found some of the guinea pig movies in his house. Did they have like a video nasty type vibe that went through town? Something. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're referring to the uh, uh, Miyazaki incident. He was, uh, 
he was the uh, serial killer in Japan. I, I still believe he's the worst uh, of its kind. Uh, basically, he was a uh, 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 pedophilia, uh, necrophilia serial killer. Uh, he, he kidnapped and killed and actually ate some of the victims. Uh, uh, crazy stuff. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was a first of its kind, uh, crime in, in Japan. And, uh, of course, you know, media had, uh, you know, soccer's out of it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they, they busted into his house and, you know, the police didn't know any better. So they actually, uh, openly showed the room, uh, to the media, uh, the, the room of the serial killer. And of course, on the, his bookshelf, there was, uh, you know, Japanese, uh, guinea pig, uh, series, you know, and uh, a video VHS and, uh, Basically, they used the horror movies and horror video as a scapegoat, you know, like to understand, you know, wh- how could this horrible of a person be created, you know, and they blame it on these, uh, uh, you know, gore fest, uh, movies and straight to video stuff. And, uh, yeah, that since after that, that whole, whole uh, thing changed, you know, it, uh, that now the, uh, uh, rating system came on board, and a lot of video stores actually stopped carrying uh, gory horror movies. Hmm. Was there any people getting jailed or anything like that, like the video nasty thing? Or I don't think so. I don't think the. Uh, I think that it just uh, it kind of like it affected the industry and the viewers more than actual legal implication. Yeah, those guinea pig movies are wild. I seen a piece of one of them once, and it was just like a girl on a like tied to a bed. And, like, someone came in and, like, cut her leg off and then left and had lunch and came back later and cut off her, like, other foot. <laughs> it's like yeah. Weird. But that kind of yeah. sounds like a little re- – I've never seen one, so it kind of – to me, that kind of sounds like one of those faces of death type movies. It has that vibe, for sure. Yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, – I think it's one of those uh, first uh, found footage horror movie kind of thing. You know, the first installment of Guinea Pig was – Basically, it's a torture porn. This this girl gets kidnapped, and uh, you know, a bunch of guys are just doing horrible things to uh, her body. You know, just the piercing her eye yeah. out or cutting her body open, stuff like that. Torturing, no story. Yeah. yeah, no story. Then, uh, then from second installment on, uh, it has some story. So it it, it kind of evolved from the torture porn to uh, uh, more of a horror movie. Uh, stuff, but, uh, still, you know, the main attraction for those series, uh, was gore effect. Yeah. I guess there's still, still some hope for me. I haven't gone that nutty with the horror movies yet to see one of those. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, the, uh, unearthed films here in the U.S., they resurrected the series yeah. and they, they are doing the series called American Guinea Pig. And, uh, you know, they, they kind of follow the footstep of the, uh, you know, torture porn, uh, gore filled, effect filled, uh, stuff. And, uh, I wanted to, so- I, I, I could fully feel myself dying after watching a Serbian film. So <laughs> I'm kind of good. Right. <laughs> I know my limits. Yeah. It's the same company that released for us. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you know the flavor. Yes. Yeah. You know the guys yeah, over I, on Earth. a little too much for me. So <laughs> right. I know my limits. I'll stay away from those. <laughs> so. Did you start filmmaking in Japan or did you start when you came came over to the States? Well, I, you know, when I was growing up in the 80s, uh, the joke was uh, uh, Japanese didn't watch Japanese movies. Uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, the Japanese film industry was uh, going weaker and weaker. 
and uh, you know Hollywood movies were getting bigger and bigger and more popular all over the world and uh, so consequently uh, I didn't really get turned on to Japanese movies till I was in college uh, uh, so you know, all I was watching was, uh, uh, you know, American B movies, uh, you know, like Reanimator and stuff, and uh, uh, big Hollywood movies. And uh, so, I think, and I also believe at that time in Japan, um, no universities in Japan offered film classes. So uh, I think there was some, uh, you know, more uh, professional training schools for filmmakers and stuff, but there was uh, no, no uh, universities that offered film school. So uh, it was kind of natural for me to like wanting to go overseas and study film in college. And uh, uh, so I came over here uh, in high school uh, as an exchange student. And uh, uh, it's a, it's kind of funny story. I, I went to Fresno, California and uh uh, my, my map of U.S. was like this big and the California was this big. So, you know, from Fresno to LA was like this, this much. So I was like, oh, maybe I can bike there. You know, like I, if I go to Fresno, I can bike to Hollywood and, uh, you know, totally wrong. Idea. Yeah, it's, it's like, a, it's like a 350 miles from LA. But, uh, um, so yeah, so I went to Fresno and, uh, it was really like, uh, they called uh, Fresno, California, the armpit of California. So, uh, but I made a lot of good, good friends and stuff. But uh, so, yeah, I, I came over here wanting to study films. And uh, then I went to uh, uh, San Francisco Art Institute and uh, uh, after high school. And then I transferred to uh, California Institute of the Arts, uh, CalArts uh, in, in L.A., and I graduated there, and that's how I began filmmaking. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit of a hybrid. You know, I I wanted I was I grew up in Japan, but I came over here, uh, got ed- educated here, and I started making movies here. So, yeah, to answer your question, no, I uh, I didn't start filmmaking over there. I started here, but it still uh, have that flavor, so it's well worth. Well, yeah, yes, it's, uh, you know, um, I did my first feature when I was 29 and, uh, uh, it was, a. it's called Monsters Don't Get to Cry and it didn't get the American distribution, but it's a revenge flick, uh, you know, set around the fictional, um, uh, fictional high school shooting and, uh, 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 one of the, uh, victim's father kidnaps the perpetrator and basically tortures him to, uh, teach him a lesson, you know, the value of life and whatnot. And, uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a theater play like confined space, a thriller. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I combined ultra gore effects with the high human drama. And unfortunately there was no audience for that market. You know, like people, people who li- love, you know, high drama, they don't like the gory movies and uh, people who likes gory movies, they don't like human drama, you know, like a talking heads drama. So, uh, so we didn't get the distribution. Uh, We only got the distribution in Japan and uh, uh, Germany, but uh, uh, you know, I I learned a lesson hard way. You know, it's like, uh, Oh, in, in order for me to do business here, I have to tap into my background, you know, like me being, a Japanese filmmaker, I, I have to use that background uh, to, to, to do business here. And that's why my second film was Samurai Avenger. It, uh, so I kind of, 
you know, made a hybrid spaghetti western uh, with the samurai movie flavor kind of thing. So, so from, from there on, I started to use my Japanese background in my my materials. But uh, yeah, it's, so, so I am a hybrid uh, of uh, of a filmmaker uh, between U.S. and Japan. Yeah, the the monsters don't get to cry is such a serious subject. Like, what did, do you, what did that come about from? Do you do you remember? Or? Yeah, it's uh, you know I was uh, I was struggling after uh, you know uh, graduating from film school, and uh, you know uh, I you know I was I was saying like, oh man, you know, like if I don't get to do a feature film by age thirty, maybe I should I don't know uh, start cooking ramen or making sushi, you know, uh, maybe career change needs to happen. But uh, uh, luckily, uh, we were able to raise money independently, a uh, little shy of $100,000 to do a feature film. And uh, so uh, I actually uh, got the submissions uh, for script. And but back then, I wasn't really interested in writing my own material. And uh, but uh, so I, I, you know, I... Uh, open submission for a script and then this one script came and it was uh it was based actually based on the theater play and uh really good stuff and i thought okay with the with the little shy of a hundred thousand dollars you know maybe i can do this because it's a confined space it's controlled environment and uh so we did that we did that movie uh yeah so that's that's how i got got to do my first feature I equate monsters don't get to cry a little bit like in Last House on the Left along those yes. lines. Right. Uh, it even has that vibe of like the audience really didn't know how to take Last House when they first seen it because of that over extreme violence mixed with the hippie happy music. You know what I mean? And right, right, right. Couldn't comprehend what was going on. So I think that that kind of fit into it. And there's so much emotion when it comes to school shooting stuff, especially like right now. I think it, it's a lot for people to kind of digest. You know what I mean? Right. I think I, I still like the movie, you know, I oh, mean, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's my, it's my first, uh, uh, feature. So, you know, um, well, there's a special place in your heart. Yeah, it does. And, uh, you know, and also, also I have many, you know, uh, regrets, you know, like ma- many, many things that I would not do the same now. Uh, but, uh, I, I would love to find the proper U.S. home for it, uh, one day. And, uh, get it get it out there you know i we actually uh shot it on video we couldn't afford to shoot it on film but uh from video we did the uh uh telecine we we actually burnt uh uh burnt the movie onto 35 millimeter film so we still have the uh you know 35 fil- film uh negative so i would love to do you know 4k transfer of that and you know get it released someday someday here well, that would be kind of dope be cool yeah i definitely support that Cool. See, you brought up Samurai Avenger, the blind Yes, Warrior. sir. You know what I mean? Uh, it takes, I think, some influence from, like, uh, uh, Shogun Assassin, a little bit in there. Um, like the, um, what is it, the uh, Lone Wolf and the Cub, you know, that like that series. Um, yep. Weird, and I love the style of it. It's got great style. All the films Thank have you. great style. Camera work is beautiful, you know what I mean? I really recommend everybody going to check out his films. But uh, can you give us a little brief, you know, uh, how this came, how that one came about, from jumping off from the previous? 
Right. Uh, so from most of us don't get to cry. You know, I, I went to a lot of producers and a lot of uh, distribution companies and, you know, I got a lot of no's from them. But, uh, uh, you know, basically the important lesson I learned was, uh, you know, as we talked about earlier, uh, I need to tap into my Japanese background. And they, they were like, all, all the producers I met, all the producers I met, they were all like, well, you're from Japan. Why don't you use your Japanese background and do, do, do a movie? And, uh, so I took that advice to my heart and, uh, I was like, okay, so if I were to do, uh, Japanese movie, uh, there definitely should be samurai movie, but then, you know, like samurai movies are very expensive to pull off because it's a, it's a costume play. It's a period stuff, you know, and, uh, um, so I was like, well, what to do? Uh, so I, then my answer was I, I would do kind of a, weird hybrid world you know fictional kind of uh parallel world setup that uh this this nowhere land uh is kind of a samurai exists and the gunslinger exists so it's kind of like a spaghetti western inspired gory samurai movie and we called it the sushi western yeah. but uh uh so yeah that that's the how uh then uh, you know after i did the synopsis and the script and actually you know, at that time, it was a, you know, pre-depression, you know, like a subprime loan, uh, you know, uh, catastrophe, con- economic disaster. So, you know, a lot of, uh, people were, uh, had the little stash of cash, uh, hidden, uh, and they didn't want to pay tax on it. So they could like invest in a movie as a tax, uh, thing. And, um, uh, so I got, I got some really decent amount of money, uh, about, uh, little over uh, 200,000, I think. And uh, I got the great producer to come in to produce it. And we, we, we put together that movie. And uh, uh, the casting was a little hard. So I ended up playing the main character, and uh, uh, which was a kind of a blessing in disguise because, um, because you know, it was, a, it was an effect-filled uh, movie. And we had a lot of waiting period, you know, for makeups to be applied and everything. So... When you see the movie Samurai Avenger, all the uh, close-up single shot of me, we did it on the side uh, when we were waiting for the makeup to be done with other actors. So like that, that was actually how we were able to actually finish the movie, sh- shoot it. I mean, as I was directing, I stayed in the costume and the makeup all the time. Then whenever we have the little pocket of time, you know, waiting for the makeup, I told the camera person to say, Hey, come, come, let's, let's do the insert shot of my face. And we just did the, did the stuff. And, uh, that, that's how we were able to pull it off. But, uh, yeah, it, I, I, that, that movie actually put me, uh, on the map, so to speak, uh, with the film festival around the world and the distribution around the world. Yeah. Did you, you pull influence from El Topo at all? You know, uh, I sub, sub, subconsciously probably, but, uh, that wasn't really uh, what I was going for. I was going for more of, uh, you know, Sergio Cabucci, Sergio Leone, you know, more Italian stuff. So I wasn't really thinking about Hodorowsky at all. But, uh, yeah, subconsciously, I guess. And, you know, after, after it was released in film festivals, a lot of people made a comment about El Topo. So, I'm, I mean, I'm honored, but uh, yeah. it, was, it was subconscious. Yeah, he's, Hodorowsky's always there somewhere. <laughs> I know. He's very influential, yes. Yeah. The uh, synapse, I believe. Uh, yeah, synapse. 
I believe, released a beautiful Blu-ray of this. Oh, yeah. Synapse did an amazing job. It was, uh, it was kind of a, a funky U.S. release. We, we, we first sold it to, uh, this, uh, uh, distribution company and, uh, they actually tanked and, uh, and it's kind of nasty. It was nasty, uh, that the, they, they owe a lot of money to the, their financiers. So I had to hire a lawyer to get my, uh, rights back of the movie because they had like 12 year contract to represent the movie. And, uh, so basically after the distribution company tanked, uh, the, their, you know, creditor owned my movie rights too. Then I was like, no, no, no. Then I, I need to find a home for this, you know, new home for this movie. So I, uh, I had to hire a lawyer to go after the, uh, rights, you know, and I got it back and, uh, Thankfully, uh, Snaps uh, uh, picked it up, and uh, they did the beautiful Blu-ray release. Yeah. yeah, the business side could be like more horrifying than the movie sometimes. You know what I mean? Oh man, it's yeah, it's crazy. Did it take a long time in order for the lawyers to get the rights back for you for you to finally be able to distribute it? Yeah, you know, I think it was uh, it was like a six month ordeal, and. Uh, yeah, so but but we got it back, and that was that was a good thing. But uh, still, the the original distributor still owed us like eight thousand dollars, and we we never saw that money. So again, that's the that's the horrific side of the film business. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a crazy one. Nobody wants to give out that money. You got to have the the business and the creative. You know what I mean? The yeah. creative guy just wants to go in there and make their movie. But then you like it's the you know it's a process you know what I mean. Yeah, it's it's industry, so you know it's 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 definitely harder than you know a lot of people think. Yeah, was that your first time getting in front of the camera? I know that you did this on TV. Yeah, you know, I actually uh, I I had this uh, uh, you know I was having drinks with uh, one of my good friends who's a professional actor here in LA and. Uh, you know, he told me, uh, hey, you know, my agent is looking for someone like you. You know, he's he's looking to represent uh interesting looking Asian person. And I was like, you know, we were having a couple of drinks and I was like, yeah, yeah, OK, fine. You know, I'll, I'll go meet him, you know, and uh, I didn't take it seriously. And uh, but uh, he did set up a meeting with his agent with me. And so I went to you know, Hollywood, Beverly Hills to uh, meet this guy. And he actually wanted to sign me on right away. I, I had no acting background. And, uh, you know, you hear all the horror stories about, you know, uh, wannabe actors coming to Hollywood and they can never get the representation, you know. So I was like, I just stumbled upon the representation with the actual full-on agent. And, uh, yeah, I was like, okay, well, this is kind of too good to be true, but but I'm going to do it. And I, you know, I, I you know, my career goal is to be a movie director, so I didn't really think seriously about it. But I did sign on um, with the acting agent, and uh, actually, it was kind of funny that the, I went to the first audition ever in my life. It was uh, it was a Vodafone cell phone European cell phone company commercial shot in L.A. My very first audition, actually, I got the main character, and uh, it was uh, it was actually uh, uh, you know union shoot. So uh, you know, after I did the uh, I did the uh, commercial shoot, I got the threatening letter from Screen Actors Guild already saying, "You better join the union, otherwise you won't work in this town again." <laughs> so I was like, "Holy shit!" You know, I I hurried over to Wilshire and joined the union, and. Uh, 
it was it was really interesting. And so you know, like after just one commercial, I was SAG actor, and uh, then my agent uh, sent me to audition for this uh, uh, TV show called Ugly, uh, Ugly, Ugly Betty. Betty. Yeah. yeah, and uh, uh, George George Takei was going to play this uh, Japanese fashion designer character, but he had the schedule conflict and they had to cast someone Japanese in hurry. And uh, I actually ended up getting the role uh, as a Japanese, kind of a moody, difficult Japanese fashion designer. And that was my uh, Hollywood debut, if you would. And uh, then, boom, you know, I was a network TV actor already, you know, <laughs> and uh, I was I was hugging and kissing Vanessa Williams on the set. You know, I was like, well, what's going on? with that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what's going on? And uh, so, yeah, that, that kind of started my acting, short-lived acting career. Then then I, I was on the second season of uh, Heroes. Yeah. And uh, I was actually on the last season of uh, ER. But uh, Stanley Tucci's monologue ran long. So they had to cut my scene. So I got paid for it, but I'm, yeah, I didn't survive. Yeah, I so every time I see, see him on TV, I'm still like, you, you know, but... You uh, my moment. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that was my acting stuff. Then then I, so I was like, I was already SAG actor. And then I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I should go ahead and play the main character for Summer Avengers. So... Um, you know that could open up different doors for different uh, different elements. So, yeah, I'm always you know curious. I mean, do you think that the, some of the acting was valuable to the filmmaking? You know what I mean? Process getting out there, networking, meeting some people. You know, that, that, those are two huge shows. The, like quite possibly the biggest TV shows of those times. You know what I mean? Right. No, I you know I think definitely uh, because I'm not classically trained. I mean, you know, I I I, I even still. To the day, I really don't want to consider myself actor, you know, because right. that that would be an insult to this, all the serious actors in the world. But uh, uh, because I know about camera, I know about filmmaking. Uh, you know, if I look at the camera and see the lens, what kind of lens that's on, I kind of know the how big the screen is or the how how tight I am there. You know, so I I know. You know, if I do this, I'll be out of the frame. If I do this, I'll be out of focus. I can judge those technical stuff. So, you know, it's uh, film acting mainly is all about hitting marks at the right moment and stuff. Yeah. So the full focus puller don't lose you. So even though I'm not classically trained actor, I think uh, my filmmaking knowledge helped my performances. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I think that's that's how I got those roles. Yeah, a lot of people say just get on set. No matter what you can do, just get on set. You'll make you know friends. You'll network, and then who you know you might you might meet somebody that'll end up producing your movie in five years. You know what I mean? Totally. I mean, yeah. I mean, I I learned so much uh, on set doing my stuff or appearing on different stuff um, more than what I learned in film school. You know, film school was great. You know, hanging out with friends and having great time, uh, but really film schools don't uh, prepare you for real world at all. Yeah. And uh, you just need to get out there on your own and get your experience, yes. Oh, yeah, build relationships. Yep. People don't I understand. Think that, I think that's just with any any kind of schooling in general. You don't, you know. That's the thing. The book smart element and the street smart element kind of are yeah. like two different things. So until you actually get that hands-on knowledge, you you don't know what 
you're capable of. Right, totally. I mean, if, I mean, film school, uh, film schools are a conundrum of its its own conundrum because, you know, a uh, good film professor uh, could be a you know could be a good, really good pro- film professor, but he's been teaching for the last thirty years, so that means he doesn't have the real set experience. Yeah. You know, he might be a good educator, but he's not a real person to actually, re- you know, give your career advice, you know? So it's, uh, it's, 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 it's really difficult. It's like, uh, you know, it depends on what you want from the film school. You really need to choose which school you go to carefully, you know? Mm-hmm. For sure. You know what I mean? And they, you know, you get in there, you make friends and it's like, they, what you want to be, people want to be around people they like and they're easy to work with. You know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. that, that's huge. People don't even realize uh, how huge that is. It's like, why, yes. why would you not want to, because obviously you want to be around people that you like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. So for my uh, samurai, yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say, it, it's always better. Like when there's a good energy, good vibes, because it just makes, the work environment better. You get more accomplished. You, you know, you're not constantly sitting there breaking up fights like you're in a kindergarten playground. So, you know, true. it's beneficial. Oh. Very true. Very true. Um, now, I know you said that um, Samurai Avenger was like, you know, it was it was a way bigger movie for you. It was like a step up. Uh, did, did you find that that made things easier coming off of that going into Gun Woman or was it just equally you know, the same amount of a battle to get to the, get to the game, so to speak. Well, it's, uh, so I did Summer Avenger back in 2009. And, uh, um, I was, I was really hoping that the dot movie is going to like, you know, launch me into Hollywood career, you know? And, uh, uh, we actually uh, were gonna land on the really big contract with that movie with the big, uh, uh, you know, big time Hollywood movie directors, um, uh, production company. They were actually, uh, they were actually gonna buy the whole movie and, uh, they're gonna distribute it and they'll own the rights for it and maybe they'll do the Hollywood remake of it, stuff like that. Um, I don't know if I should mention the, the film director's name, but uh, somebody really big. And, SR? Uh, uh, SR? Is there an SR in there? Mm, yes, SR, yes. I yes, thought it yes. might be. I thought it might yes. be. <laughs> yes. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, But, uh, you know, that deal fell through because uh, subprime loan, uh, you know, financial disaster happened, and I guess all the investors in the film industry pulled away. Um, so that didn't happen. And I had to, you know, release it in independently, stuff like that. And, uh, uh, so yeah. Um, so I was kind of, uh, and devastated. And, uh, and at the time my dad was getting sick in Japan. So, uh, you know, I, I, I had to make kind of a family decision to uh, go back to Japan and uh uh you know lived there for a couple of a uh, couple of years or i don't know well, we didn't know if we were going to be there for indefinitely or not but uh so we moved actually we moved back to japan and uh um then uh then the uh, uh the japanese t- tsunami and the nuclear power plant disaster happened and uh 
you know, my son was small, you know, he was two at the time. And uh, we weren't close to the, uh, the, you know, the Fukushima power plant, but we were close enough to for us to be concerned. So we actually moved back to U.S. after two years. And uh, so it was kind of a chaotic time in my, 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 my life. And, uh, you know, I, when I moved back to Japan, I was already making connection with the Japanese film industry people, studio people, and several things were in, in, in development. But uh, I basically had to abandon those and uh, move back here uh, for my family safety. And uh, so I didn't know what was going to happen to my career. I was, I was actually uh, pretty devastated. Then uh, the distribution company, Japanese distribution company that distributed Monsters Don't Get to Cry and the Samurai Avenger for Japan uh, approached me saying, we can't offer you that big of a budget, but if you want to do a movie with us, we would love to uh, produce it for you. So, uh, yeah, we, we, so they offered like $900,000. And, uh, so that's considerably less than my two previous movies. But, uh, you know, I, I, I was, I, I, I took it because, uh, I needed something to resurrect my career because I was moving back and forth the countries and, uh, you know, I was kind of burning bridges on the industries both here and over there. So, yeah, I took the deal. Uh, you know, of course, $900,000 is like really nothing uh, uh, to do a film. And uh, so it was a struggle. But, uh, you know, when Asami came on board, I mean, it was like, you know, she, she was born to play that character in the movie. And so, yeah, so I got woman. I think it was, it really was more of a passion project for both me and Asami. And, uh, um, you know, we were, we, I mean, it was, it was kind of like a hard time for uh, any Japanese back then, you know, like we were coming out of a, a nuclear disaster and the earthquake disaster. And, uh, so, you know, our, our, um, our mentality was kind of in sync, you know, like, yeah. all right, we, we, is a shit hit the fan and we really now, uh, have to, you know, like do our passion project. You know, we need to, we need to like leave something behind in case something bad happens, you know, that type yeah, yeah. of thing. So, yeah. And this was, this is the first and a long collaboration, a long ongoing collaboration with Asami. Yes, unfortunately, it got it got cut short by her retirement. But uh, uh, yeah, we 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 did Gun Woman, and uh, you know, Gun Woman took us took us all over the world. You know, like we went to fan conventions in Europe, uh, film festivals in North America, uh, you know, uh, Europe, everywhere, and we we just had a really great time. And uh, uh, yeah, it was you know, it's it's. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still really sad that, that she decided to retire so early and, yeah, very uh, early. I'm surprised yeah. to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, consequently Karate Kill became, uh, last of our collaboration, but, you know, I'm really hoping someday if I can raise money, uh, for gun woman too, I can pull her out of the retirement and, uh, get back her, you know, get back her in the business. That's what I was just going to ask you if you uh, if you could pull her out of retirement for another project. Hey, if Michael Jordan can do it, she can do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that woman too could bring her back. Yeah, because yeah. she she loved she loved that movie. You know, so yeah. How did you come up with the idea for Gun Woman? You know I mean? Well, uh, when I was uh, 
when I was in film school, uh, one of the idea uh, I had for my thesis film was a story about these uh, diamond smugglers. Uh, they would smuggle diamond across the borders, um, hiding them in dead people's body. And uh, so I had this idea of hiding something in somebody's body surgically. And uh, so that took uh, kind of a twist and turn. And uh, uh, then, you know, then uh, the gun woman uh, idea, you know, like in, in, in order to penetrate this unbreakable fortress, you had to be a corpse to get shipped in and you get revived and you have to do the uh, hit. You know, so yeah, it, it based on loosely based on idea I had in my film school days. Yeah, and we won't, we won't, we won't spoil anything. But there's, there's uh, insertion, insertion. We'll say, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what? What is it? One in the chamber. We'll say one in the chamber. Uh, that would be a good tagline. That would have been a great tagline. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the. Uh, and just, you know, I, you, you've, you, I, I consider you to be like the king of like that genre right now. I lo- you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Thank I love you. It. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate that she stepped away, but I think she'll come back. I think she'll come back. Yes. I, 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 I hope so. Yeah. The, um, now when you typically write, uh, you like to write by yourself or do you like the, you like the group toss ideas around? You know, I've been fortunate to work with uh, uh, very good producers uh, for my career. And uh, uh, usually, uh, you know, producers really don't get the writing credit. But, uh, uh, you know, I do the first draft and I send it to them and they will, you know, make a comments, you know, give me notes. And I, I, you know... Take some notes. Don't take some notes. But uh, you know, it's it's a really good collaboration with uh, my my producers and me uh, coming up with the writing. So even though I don't uh, I don't particularly have a writing partner or co writers, um, I consider my producers to be the collaborator on, on my scripts, and uh, it's it's so far it's been working great. That's good to hear because sometimes you hear the the producers can be not so great when they're adding input. Yeah, you know, you know it's it's yeah. It, unfortunately, it is true that uh, there are a lot of producers in the film industry today uh, who doesn't really know about filmmaking. You know, like either they have the lawyer background or a business background. Mm-hmm. You know, basically they are money producers. You right. know, there are money producers and there are film producers, you know, like people who actually know how to produce a movie, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, because there's no distinguishing, uh, you know, the difference between a job title. So people kind of get confused about that. But uh, yeah. yeah, I've been fortunate. Uh, yes, I, I've heard a lot of horror stories about different, uh, you know, um, different producers. But yeah. Yeah, you guys got a mutual respect, it sounds, which is the key to the whole thing. Because once you, once one somebody feels like the producer feels like they know a little more than the creative person, then there's a gigantic issue there. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. And you know, I don't want to sound. I don't want to sound like a teenager, but you know, yeah. the, the the my my producers get me. You know, it's like they, uh, you know, because they know my movies already. So the people who's willing to hire me and willing to work with me, uh, they they value my vision. You know, thankfully, and so they don't. Uh, 
they don't make that bad of a suggestion, yeah. uh, you know, that out of, uh, you know, out of blue kind of suggestion. It's basically, you know, how to build on my vision. So, you know, I've been lucky like that. How do you handle a bad idea when given from a producer? And a friendly <laughs> pat him on the, you pat him on the back, give him a nice little. Yeah, you kind of just beat me to that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, you know, I, I it's, I, you know, it's, sometimes it's unfortunate because, you know, like say, I'm not saying character kill producers are bad, but, uh, right. uh, one of, one of the suggestions that I made and they turned it down, which I still think was a bad idea, was I wanted to have a big karate battle in Karate Kill. You know, like in order for uh, the main character to be, uh, to be, you know, to show his traditional karate technique, he needed to be faced with another karate master. You know, like, so we'll have a karate battle and to show the classic element of the, uh, uh, you know, martial art you know, stuff. And, uh, I suggested that, but, uh, but the producer said, ah, no, that's kind of boring. So let's, let's not do the karate versus karate. Let's just do, do build on the karate versus gun and karate versus sword and stuff like that. And I still, uh, to the day, I really think in karate kill, there should, should have been a karate battle. Yeah. So, so I guess I, I didn't really quite answer your question, but uh, yeah, that was, I guess that was the example of me losing that yeah. idea, you know, the battle, like the, 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 with the bad suggestion. Yeah. Well, <laughs> very high emotion, too. I also wanted to compliment the emotion, the way you can do that. In a lot of revenge movies, you'll see they, they, they go, oh, there has to be emotion here. So you see it thrown in. But you're the motion that you have, like you really feel the anger and like that, that desperate feel for what, when, when, you know, like in Karate it Kill, seems, like with this. It seems real, not, it's not. It does. Mm. It's Thank more you. so than real. It's relatable. You know Thank what you. I mean? Um, you know, you really want them to get to it. And, and in all of the movies, the, the revenge based, it's because you do see that. You'll see that in, you know, le- lesser quality revenge films you'll see that they're it's like you know you know that oh well they're supposed to be mad because they did something to their family but it's like and they leave that emotion for you to kind of create within yourself but i with with your films i like how you don't have to really go that far to create because like it's right there and the way you you come you know you, you take it in and you can you get angry at points you know the way that these people are acting wild you know what i mean there's a lot of really colorful characters in your films you know what mm. i mean I yeah, want to wrap kind of, the, you kind of want to reach through the screen and start beating people up yourself. <laughs> I, want bring, I want to bring up the villain in Karate Kill. Mm. Now, is is that taken from Charles Manson? That's got to be right. Like some reference there. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, but it wasn't direct uh, uh, because my my vision for that character was more of a computer geek kind of uh, setup. You know, because he's uh, he's the internet. Yeah criminal you know yeah, yeah. uh but uh when that actor kirk geiger came to audition he looked like manson you know and yeah. i was like I, I felt the gravity towards him you know i was like oh i didn't i didn't really expect him to be you know homage to uh you know uh manson but i was like wow you know like here's this great actor um I, I, so I, I went with it, you know, so I was, it wasn't, it wasn't planned. It was, uh, it was, uh, 
it, it was presented to me that way. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. thank you very much for your compliment on the, uh, revenge emotion. I, uh, yeah. you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because, um, uh, when I uh, first saw Robocop, uh, I saw it on uh, kind of a bootleg uh, VHS copy in, in Japan, and uh, uh, you know it didn't it didn't have Japanese subtitle. It, it only had original English uh, audio. And uh, back then, I didn't speak English, so uh, I watched it. I loved it, and, and, and I really couldn't understand the language, but understood everything in that movie. You know, uh, so essentially, you know, Paul Verhoeven told told me the importance of language of cinema. You know, it really doesn't matter if you speak the language or not. You know, uh, the film should be, uh, you know, visual storytelling. And, uh, you know, like all the villains in Robocop, I mean, you hate them. You know, you, you like you said, you know, you want to reach out and you want to grab them and punch <laughs> them in the face. Someone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like. That's that's like that was like uh, the lesson I got from Verhoeven films, you know, and uh, I think I'm applying the same kind of a technique, you know, like even though you don't get the story or even you don't even speak English, but you you get the hatred, you 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 feel that you feel the need for revenge, you know, and yeah, uh, the body I, I, language alone can take you many places. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so that, I think that's that's kind of a. The, 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 I'm aware of that, and I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that the you guys think uh, I'm, I'm doing an okay job with that. So, Absolutely. thank you. To go to that Verhoeven, that RoboCop deal, man. I remember seeing uh, the uncut version of RoboCop Criterion Collection. I think released it with like blow his arm off and just be like, wow. Yeah, it came out on Laserdisc first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I always like giving Criterion Collection credit because I mean that's where I see all my. The majority of a lot of the foreign films that I love, I got to give credit to them. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, totally. Yeah, they, 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 they definitely have the fair share of genre love. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, yeah, the Karate Kill, the the beautiful that that without teasing or spoiling anything, there's like a, there's a there's a shotgun wound close to the end, which is like <laughs> oh, crazy. I love it. I love it because usually when you see that effect. It's it's a, a like a, a dust. It's like blood dust, and then it's over. But that actually looked legitimately like somebody lost their head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we, we 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 locked out. We uh, we we did the you know uh, Sam Yano, my uh, uh, the uh, B cam operator. He he he's an amazing uh, VFX person too. So yeah. uh, he provided amazing. Um, you know, uh, visual effects for uh, Karate Kill, and uh, yeah, what, what that that shotgun thing was uh, definitely his uh, his credit. Yes, yeah, there. I can't stress enough how great the films are. Like the quality is really great all across the board. Everybody, Thank go you. check them out. Thank you. You brought up visual effects, so I'm going to bring up the Grudge too. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you got to do some some assistance on it, which was cool. Any any stories from working on that, by any chance? You got to work with Takashi Shimizu. Yeah, it was it was great. Uh, you know, Shimizu-san and I are actually the same age. We were both uh, born in 1973. So he's, I think he's a little bit, I mean, a few months earlier. Uh, but, yeah, uh, uh, yeah he's kind of like my big brother to me. I mean, my career is, compared to his career, like super small. But the, 
we we remained good friends and uh uh yeah i i actually became friends with uh, his whole family his brother and sister and his parents too uh but uh yeah he uh we we got hired um uh, to assist him when he was doing the post production uh on uh, Grudge 2 Hollywood Grudge 2 and uh um the actually you know uh SR's company was producing it and uh uh so they they hired me and uh uh I was mainly a translator uh for a visual effects artist and uh um, that's why my credit is on uh, on IMDb, you know, uh, as a, a visual effects department. But uh, yeah, it was it was really a great experience. I got to uh, work with, um, you know, uh, a whole Hollywood uh, studio uh, post production people, and uh, it was actually really funny. Uh, Stallone was finishing his, uh, I believe, he was finishing Rocky Balboa, and. Uh, our post-production schedule was kind of chasing Stallone with Grudge 2. So, like, we would go into the color correction room and, uh, you know, operator would be like, oh, Stallone was just sitting there. And, uh, you know, Shimizu-san and I would fight over who's going to sit on that Stallone chair and stuff like that. So, <laughs> and one time, I think we went to the sound mix or something, and uh, there was a golden uh, Rolls Royce parked on the parking lot and back then i was smoking so i was i was at the parking lot smoking cigarette and uh it's a little bit racist but uh <laughs> the the guys came out and they said so what is he like what is he like he asked me because i'm asian and i'm standing next to the rolls royce they thought yeah, i was a driver <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so you know but but i was like what are you talking about then they were like oh this is stallone's car aren't you the driver so i was like, no but stallone's here you know so that was that was really funny, but um, yeah. So uh, that that was that's a good uh, good memory from that post production. But uh, also, Shimizu San hired me as uh, uh, assistant director for the reshoot. Uh, we went to Chicago to do some of the uh, insert shots, and uh, that movie took place in Chicago. But it wasn't it wasn't shot in Chicago. It was shot in uh, Tokyo. Actually, mm. we it was it was a very kind of a funky. Uh, uh, production. Uh, the, the principal photography was in Japan. Uh, the post production was in, in LA. Then, uh, uh, then the insert shots and the, the B, B unit stuff was shot in Chicago to get the actual Chicago city background and stuff like that. So when we did the, uh, those second unit shot, um, uh, Shimizu-san hired me as a second, uh, the, not second unit director, but, uh, uh, assistant director and, uh, that was like a full-on Sony Pictures, you know, Hollywood production. So, like, you know, when I go to the uh, Chicago, to the, you know, to LAX to fly over to Chicago, you know, Limo came to my apartment and picked me up. You know, like, I was like, wow, this is Hollywood, man. You know, so that was, that's like, you know, I've, I've never done, uh, uh, you know, Hollywood production so far on my directorial efforts. Uh, you know, it's always kind of a, on the poor side, independent stuff. But, uh, you know, as an actor, I got to experience the Hollywood stuff. And, I, I, you know, I got to experience Hollywood stuff with Grudge 2 as a, a crew member. That was that was really uh, fun. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, a, you see the difference. You know, every we've, we've had some big, big Hollywood films come to Boston. 
And uh, you definitely see the difference between our smaller budget films and those Hollywood films when they come oh, out. Oh, to- totally. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, when, uh, uh, summer of, summer of 2015, uh, in, in Japanese theaters, uh, you know, the first, uh, legendary, uh, Godzilla, uh, you know, originally productions, Godzilla, first installment of the Godzilla was in, in theaters. And uh, then Gun Woman was in, in theaters together. So, you know, if you go to, uh, you know, Cineplex or whatever and, uh, Cinecon and you, you see Godzilla poster and the Gun Woman poster together, then I'm like, my movie is not even the catering budget for this movie, you know? <laughs> but, but it's standing together. It was very kind of funny. <laughs> we, uh, we do film. I made a movie called DJ Stan the Man, which is a very raunchy, like, dark comedy. Oh, comedy. You, you gave me the copy of it. That's right, I did. Yeah, I, I remember it. It's, 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 it's nicely, like, you, you got the little jello lighting going. I, I try, yeah, we try to yes. make it good. We're coming from yes. Drive, from the Drive <laughs> influence. Yes. Yes. I remember I, I got a po- I got a, uh, a picture somewhere of uh, a marquee where it says DJ Stan the Man and Finding Dory, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> we screened at like a theater that was, you know, doing the Hollywood films as well as ours. Right. Uh, so that was a nice little, you know, nice little fun little keepsake picture. Yeah, Definitely. Now, you brought up Stallone, so we'll do a big segue here and go, Sylvester Stallone was really close friends with Joe Spinell. Joe Spinell was in a movie called Maniac. Yes. influenced you. Yes. You know, when it came to a movie called Maniac Driver, which Mm -hmm. was highly influenced by, of course, Maniac and Taxi Driver, which Taxi Driver is my favorite movie of all time. Uh, One of the greatest, you know what I mean? Yes. What's your take on Scorsese and his influence on cinema? Oh, I uh, I think he was the fir- one of the first uh, uh, director's name that that I remember. You know, like uh, when I was you know like a teenager, early teenager. You know, like I started to watch movies with the director's name, yeah. and definitely Scorsese was one of the first uh, directors that I seeked out. You know, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I was really lucky, you know, like when uh, um, uh, Goodfellas came out in theaters, I was in high school, so I got to see it in movie theaters on the opening day, you know, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, it, he's the, definitely super influential, and I, I love uh, Taxi Driver, too. I mean, it's uh, it's ultra-violent, yeah. uh, you know, drama, human drama. It's it's kind of infringing on the genre picture a little bit, too. But, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, uh, Paul Schrader is one of my favorite uh, uh, writer-director as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, you know, them working together on that movie, and with, the you know, Dick Smith's special effects, I mean, it's just priceless, you know. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so I got the idea to do... Uh, uh, you know, interesting hybrid of a taxi driver in Japan, kind of a maniac leniency of uh, uh, wanting to kill people, wanting to kill beautiful women. And I, I flavor that with uh, Italian giallo, you know, Algento, uh, Fulci kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy about the movie. Uh, it, it was... Uh, you know, as the economy is getting worse and worse around the world, <laughs> it was it was shot with the smallest budget ever of, of my career so far. Knock on wood, that's like the <laughs> yeah. lowest I go. 
<laughs> because that was just crazy. But uh, basically, the budget was so low, we could only afford to shoot it in four days and a half. Holy shit. You know, I, to be honest with you, I actually have no recollection, uh, no memory from the set. I mean, I was like, on, I mean, I was, I think I, I didn't sleep. You know, I was, I, I think, think I was probably just, still trying to keep, keep, catch up on sleep now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah, man, that was a brutal, like, I feel like now I can do anything. You know, it's like, yeah. a, that was like a, my boot camp. Uh, film and uh, yeah, it was it was the, definitely the hardest uh, one to pull off in my career. But I'm super happy with the result. Uh, yeah, hopefully uh, sometime this year, with you know, like before the end of the year, it'll come out here. But uh, I think my producer's just sealing the U.S. distribution deal. So yeah, if I you know if I when I can share the news with you guys, you know, I'll uh, you know uh, send you the messenger or something. Uh, Maybe we can schedule some kind of a preview so you guys can review it um, cool. to you know That'd for the U.S. Cool. launch and stuff like that. But uh, I love to see it. yeah, I, I mean, you know, it. I think if you see it, you you don't see how cheaply it was made. You know, I mean, All we right. we got we got really locked out with the amazing production team, and you know, it was actually kind of interesting because it was my first uh, time shooting in Japan with the entire Japanese cast and crew. Uh, and, uh, I just, uh, I was just, uh, you know, mesmerized how hardworking they are. And, uh, yeah, they just, uh, they were machine, you know, like one day we were like having this, uh, uh, murder scene in the shower and, uh, this shower was this funky, uh, photo studio shower that was on top of the building. And, uh, so it was, it was, uh, it was on the top of the building, no ceiling. And you just have the shower head in this beautiful kind of a Mediterranean setup. And, uh, so it was beautiful. So we decided to shoot there, but that, that night it rained, you know, like, so there's no ceiling. So all the rain came out and we had all the lighting gear to do the jello lighting. And, uh, they were like troopers. They like a boom, like they put the C stand up with, uh, you know, plastic sheet so that the, all the lighting equipment don't get wet. And it was, it was like amazing. It's like, a, wow, like these guys, you know, cause you, you know, you, you get spoiled shooting movies in LA, you know, cause you never count for rainy days, you know, cause we never get one, you know? And, uh, but it was, it was, so when you see the movie, uh, the production value, you will never guess it was, it was shot in four days and a half. And we got such a great uh, actors. I mean, we got, uh, Man, we got uh, uh, two of the sexiest uh, Japanese uh, adult actresses uh, in the industry working today. Uh, they were head just head. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite actresses. Yes, they're, they're... sexy, sexy uh, women in movies. <laughs> oh man! Well, especially for Jalo, you know, it's like that's the that's the signature thing, you know. Like, um, yeah, so. Uh, yeah, it, it's, they were, they were just such amazing performers. They, uh, not only they were attractive and beautiful, they were, uh, they were really trooper of actors and they were, they were taking their performance very seriously. And, uh, you, you'll see it. I mean, it's, it's, it, I think you, you can compare them to some of the leading ladies of Jalo, uh, 
you know genre from the 70s and uh, you, you would you would really like say like wow like this casting really paid a homage to original Jalo movies and uh, the leading guy who played Maya uh, taxi driver uh, Tomoki Kimura is this up and coming Japanese actor uh, I think he's going to be uh, Japan's uh, leading man very soon. And uh, we were so lucky to have him uh, on board on this picture. Um, you know, uh, in several years, pro- definitely I couldn't afford him, you know, anymore. But, <laughs> but you know, we, we got him on the way up. So, but the, he's such an amazing actor. And, uh, yeah, he, you, you, you'll totally believe all his uh, psychotic performances and you you enjoy him just like you did in you know the taxi drivers de niro's performance was amazing i think tomoki kimura's uh, performance in maniac driver is really really good i support it we don't need a taxi driver too when we have maniac driver (laughs) i mean for a second when you say maniac driver i thought we were talking about me but then i really i forgot we were actually talking about a movie (laughs) oh mel <laughs> you, you seem like a very your family man talking about the family. I love it. Um, you brought up your son real quick. Has your son seen your films? And does he have an no. opinion? No. <laughs> you keep him away, or does he stay away? Well, both. Uh, I, I think my wife actually uh, is the gatekeeper. Uh, okay. You know, we uh, her nickname in our house is MPAA. <laughs> so you know she's uh, she's definitely banning my movies from him, and uh, which is fine. You know, I I I mean, let's face it; it's sad, but uh, it's true that uh, you know cinema is dead. You know, like it's not what it used to be. You know, it's like I don't know. I don't know. You know, if you're a young teenager or something, I don't know if you want to go into filmmaking right now. You know, uh, this uh, subscription based everything. Um, YouTube culture, it's, it's really death to the cinema, you know, like, I, I mean, I mean, I, I don't want to be a doomsdayer, but I just don't see a bright future for filmmaking. And, uh, yeah, so I don't want my son to be inspired to be a struggling filmmaker like myself. So, right. you know, it's good that the we're keeping him away from it. Yeah, the filmmaking's weird. It's so oversaturated now. Everybody's doing it because it's kind of, it's a little easier with technology. You can shoot it on a phone and stuff. And now, you, unfortunately, you're running into a place where... Everything I, might be Yeah, I, I almost felt like there was a time where, like, if you had the talent, money didn't matter. But now there's so much money involved that, like, you got to have the money, too. You know what I mean? You just have to. Yeah, it's... it's I mean, you know, it's it's like a, the internet. The you know, digital yeah. technology and the internet was a Pandora's box that... Maybe we shouldn't have opened, but we did, you yeah. know. So, so now, you know, YouTube. I mean, I, I definitely watch with the repercussions of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I enjoy YouTube stuff, you know, fair share of it. But also, there is a side of the YouTube that's, you know, there's tons of illegal uploads, uh, music, movies. I mean, Gun Woman. If you just, if you can, I mean, you Google, you YouTube Gun Woman. I'm sure gazillion different language government comes up you know and uh that's just the nature of it and uh you know and also the young generation kind of uh, they're kind of getting used to getting everything for free you know they don't uh 
they don't learn to pay for whatever you enjoy. And uh, also the subscription-based mentality is doing the same thing. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't practice paying one movie one price. You know, like it's like, okay, you, you pay monthly fee and you get all these movies, you know, so that type of thing. So I really think, um, you know, I mean, you know, rock bands are not making money. M- movies are not making money. Uh, it's just, you know, like in the separation, just like, uh, you know, world economy, like r- rich are getting richer and poor are getting poorer. Movie, yeah. B- big movies are getting bigger, but smaller movies are getting smaller. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of, kind of sad, you know? It is, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. You, 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 yeah. It's, but you're it's still like getting you, them out, but you're still getting your films out there, which is the important part of it. But are they being seen? Though? Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's... not by as many as he would like. Well, you or know, general. like, just, just... Yeah, just like, you know, like, my struggle with uh, getting uh, Maniac Driver distributed. You know, it's like... Uh, you know, we got turned down by several distribution companies around the world because they say, okay, this might do really well on package, the package physical media, mm-hmm. but it may not do well on, uh, uh, digital format, you know, streaming. So therefore we are not taking it, taking this movie, you know, so that type of thing. So it's like the weight, the shift of, uh, you know, like a physical media versus uh, streaming is, is, uh, you know, the shift has happened, you know, like yeah. streaming is m- main source of income for distributors nowadays. And, uh, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know why Maniac Driver isn't strong on the streaming. I don't, I don't know what, what was the, that decision was based on, but, um, you know, that kind of a judgment happens on the, you know, mo- your movie and, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I can't counter argue that because I don't, I don't know, I don't know about that realm. You know, and uh, it's 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 really kind of a difficult and confusing time right now for filmmakers. I think, yeah. and I, I believe streaming in, in like a bigger, bigger, not like the smaller ones, but like in a bigger one, <coughs> it's like a buy-in thing where they're not buying one film; they're buying the whole catalog of that season, so to speak. Right. You know I mean, of right. whatever movie they, they was going to put out, and to go with what Mel was saying, it's like. It, it does hurt it because, like, yeah, it's getting put out there. But look at it like it's Halloween. You, you hand a kid a Snicker bar. They're going to go, ooh, a Snicker bar. You know they're going to eat it. But if you give them a big bag of candy, they're only going to pick out the shiny pieces and everything else goes in the trash. So it's the right. same thing with films, you know what I mean? Right. right. Which is unfortunate. but Right. So- yeah, the importance of individual films are gone. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you mean you don't get a lot of films with substance anymore, really, either. So it's kind of like popcorn, like fast food. Somebody equated it, uh, the fast food ones I always thought was great. It was like you're taking a, you can have a really good quality film that's like a, a three course meal, you know what I mean? You really, it fills up your body and your soul. Or you could have like this kind of like garbagey movies that are like McDonald's that you just eat and you're like, okay, well, what's the next thing? Because I didn't get anything from this, so I need to move on to the next thing. And uh, I always thought that was a good little, like, you know, vibe of it. Yeah. You know. You know. Very accurate, unfortunately. We won't get too dark, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So so what's what's up next? 
COVID's, COVID's going away. Maniac Drive is going to be getting gigantic. We, we won't speculate, but we're feeling and we're hoping for gigantic distribution. Every, every home in the world will have it playing 24-7. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And that's because Maddie and I are going to be a street team and selling them out of the trunks of our cars. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> it's the future. We're going back to the 90s. We'll take it that's right. Cat. Yes. Uh, well, uh, you know, as I mentioned, uh, my uh, originally slated to shoot uh, movie number six, uh, you know, th- that was last year, last April. And, uh, you know, we were finally uh, getting to do it uh, in this October. So uh, I'm, uh, I, we started the uh, uh, pre-production now. Um, we're, we're not 100% started yet, but we're kind of, Testing the water right now. We are uh, we are hiring the key positions, you know, like uh, U.S. line producers and casting directors and stuff like that. And uh, I think we're going to go uh, full fledged in 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 August. But uh, you know, July is going to be uh, more action. You know, more hiring of the key po- personals. You know, uh, fight choreographers and uh, special effects person. You know, and uh, maybe the Principal casting would start. Um, yeah, so slowly but surely, it, we're gearing up to uh, do the uh, October shoot in LA, and uh, I'm super excited. This is the, this one is the biggest budget uh, so far uh, for my career, and uh, it's uh, it's kind of a return to my root. It's a crazy sci-fi movie, uh, apocalypse, post-apocalypse uh, sci-fi stuff and uh also uh so kind of like a samurai avenger world and uh with uh and uh it's it's, you know as i mentioned it's my first japanese studio movie so hopefully this will have a big uh theatrical uh release in japan and uh, uh also overseas uh we are already in talks with several uh very uh you know, prominent uh, big film festivals around the world to have the world premiere, uh, regional premieres, and also uh, the the characters in the movies are based on uh, Japanese uh, big uh, manga, uh, living legend of a manga artist. So uh, because it's a studio movie, I can't really disclose anything right now. But uh, uh, yeah, so it, I'm, I'm super excited. You know, I think with... Uh, uh, you know, heavy, heavy names attached to this movie. Uh, and we just got, I just had the uh, casting meeting, uh, with the studio, Japanese studio online last night. And, uh, someone pretty huge is, uh, uh, uh signed on to, uh, play one of the really, uh, juicy characters. So I think, I think it's, it, this, this one definitely is, uh, uh, gonna be the biggest one for my career so far. And uh, I think you guys uh, will love it. I think so, too, man. I think so. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. This is only the beginning. You're a good dude. You're super talented. You're you're doing it, baby. You're on your way up. We support you to the fullest. We support you to the fullest. Hell yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Well, Karando, we won't keep you all night. We thank you very much for your time. You know, you ever want to come back on, you're always welcome back here. You know what I mean? We'll always be promoting your stuff as it comes out and preaching the word, baby. Preaching the yeah, word. It's been a pleasure having you on. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You guys are wonderful. I had I had such a fun time talking to you guys. Uh, please have me back again. We this was honor talking to you guys. To. Absolutely. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Enjoy I'll catch you guys later. Right, have a good Thank you, you too. Bye. Bye. Catch Bye. you later. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Well, he's adorable. He was the man, you know. He's absolutely adorable. Carando is the man. You know, we met him uh, 2017, I think we said. Uh, I don't Rock remember him at Rock and Shop. Huh? I don't remember him from Rock Actually, and Shop. 2017 might have been before me in your time. Was it? I think that might have been when I met. No. That, I was around the time I almost died. I almost died of the diabetes in 2017. That was the year I was Billy's convention manager yeah because i remember yeah that was that yeah, that year was a mystery but i remember you yeah. and lots of clouds i remember your face and cloudy smoke um hell yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no great dude <laughs> great dude super awesome uh yeah i met him at rock and shock uh i wasn't like i wasn't completely hip to his stuff but i met him he was a good dude uh i liked what i seen and then i investigated it further and the films are really good you know what I mean? You, you would assume that we would just say it because he's a guest on our show. But I, 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 I got to say it again, man. If you like exploitation, underground, gory, fun, action-packed movies, you know, with that's that, yeah, that samurai culture to it, that Asian style that's awesome, definitely check out his movies, man, because they're high-quality Everything about him is great, you know what I mean? And uh, super talented dude. Well, if I he's can all, survive a Serbian film. And you survive a Serbian film. If you can, can survive a Serbian film. film. You know what I mean? Everything I said to him was honest. Honest Abe, honest engine. Uh, it was all real deal stuff. So, like, not I wasn't just uh, puffing well, on wood. His ass like I, was. I wasn't just <laughs> puffing wood, yo. I wasn't just puffing on that wood stick, yo. The films are great. Go support him. Go check him out. No, I would I would support him just for the simple fact that he's just so very humble. And you can just tell from talking to him how you can hear the passion in his voice as he's talking about what he does. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You know, he's a great dude. Um, I was making sure I, I didn't forget anything in my old notebook of uh, questionos. But... Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a long time coming, too. As soon as, like, once we realized we were going to do this show, he was one of the first people that I reached out to. And, <clears throat> you know, the way we do our show is we usually, we bang, we take a couple months where we'll bang out guest, 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 and then we do our filler type deal. So, like, by the time we get to guests, yeah. it's a long way. Like, I, when we record this show, as we're recording this show right now, the next episode that comes out, is the J.R. Bookwalter episode, which was recorded back in like four or five months ago. Yeah, it was recorded four or five months ago. And it's been done. It's just that we try and do a formula. We don't want to bang out interview, 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 interview. We want to keep the flavor. We We get word back that you guys like solo episodes. So we do solo episodes with just the two of us as well as great, great guests. And uh, today was another great guest. Super excited to have him on. Karando Mitsutaki, the bomb of diggity. He, um, he had made that comment about the, you know, the racist comment about people seeing him standing beside the car and yeah. automatically thinking that he was the chauffeur. And then he brought up the, that point about his movie poster being next to a Godzilla poster. So... I wanted to ask him if he'd ever experienced anything uh, along the lines of racism in films. Like, you know, people automatically assume that, you know, he's probably going to hand them a Godzilla script 
Nah, probably. You know, That's a good point. But I didn't want to offend either by asking. You know, I hear where you're coming from, but it is a good it is a good question because, like, stereotypically, that's what they'd probably and in a world like yeah. Hollywood, that's kind of what they want. They want you to hand them that Godzilla script so they can say, you know, yeah, another one coming out. Yep, uh, but I didn't want to offend, I didn't want to offend him at being the first time on his show and him not really knowing us. Well, me anyway. Yeah, <laughs> he's a good dude. He jives with us. You know what I mean. Yeah, but again, cool. for shizzle, for shizzle, go check out Samurai Avenger, The Blind Wolf. Uh, Synapse put out a great Blu-ray of that. Uh, looks fantastic. Gunwoman and uh, Karate Kill are both on Amazon. Uh, I think Samurai Avenger is also on Amazon. You can rent them or buy them. Uh, Karate Kill is actually free on Amazon. If you go to Amazon Prime, it's yeah. free. And yeah. I'd say go go grab karate and go watch Karate Kill. You'll watch it. You'll love it. You will go watch the other movies after yeah, that. I think I'm, I think I'm probably gonna roll a joint and do just that. Roll the joint. Kind of woosah from the day. Karate Kill. There should be weed called Karate Kill. Maniac Drive would be a great weed strain name too. Gunwoman as well. I wouldn't doubt it if there isn't something along those lines. I'm still waiting for the shock treatment with Mel and Maddie marijuana strain. We're just going to have to create that ourselves. Just get some stickers and slap it right over some, you know, lemon kush or something. Or some sour diesel. Absolutely. Mad Mel, (laughs) would you like to tell the folks about Banner's charity coming up? Yes. Definitely. So for those of you who don't know, I have a friend named Corey Top um, who on New Year's Eve lost his little boy to a disease called Rohad. It's a very rare disease and it, and it, it causes rapid onset weight gain. Um, there's only 120 diagnosed cases in the world right now. And most of it is in children, so most of them don't usually make it to see adulthood. I think yeah. the oldest person diagnosed right now might be a teenager, but, you know, it's hard. And I've seen everything that Corey's gone through. And October, there's going to be a bike run with a raffle and, you know, all kinds of other things are going to be going on throughout the course of that day as well. And any fun, any money that we raise is going to go towards the Rohat Association to raise awareness for this disease, just to have them get some more information, you know, put some more research into it to see if there's a way that we can stop this so that, you know, people aren't losing their babies. I tell you, there's nothing worse in this world than a sick kid. No, it's awful. And, you know, just to see the strain that it puts on the family when, you know, you're commuting back and forth to Boston and on a daily basis so that your, your son is never alone. You know, one of his parents are always there or both of them at the same time, you know, that's, it's such a stressful situation. And then, you know, let's just add insult to injury um, you know, poor Corey went through a lot medical wise at the same time, you know, with dealing with his, yeah, so dad, you know, having really severe seizures where, you know, he was like literally cracking his head open because they were happening so frequently. He wasn't able to, you know, they weren't controlled. 
So, you know, he's finally starting to get back into a good place with that. But, like, I would really love to do is just, like, put a GoFundMe together for him outside of the Rohad Association fundraiser and send this kid on a vacation with his family. You know, even, you know, I can't afford to walk to the end of the driveway, but I would love to make the move mountains to, you know, send this kid to Jamaica for a week or something just so that he can get away and relax and enjoy himself and not, yeah, seriously. I just, you know, not have to worry about anything other than himself at that particular moment and, you know, his family. And Corey is our dude too. We're sending our love. I'm sure. I I love Corey to pieces. You know, he's one of those rock solid guys, you know, there's not many of them left in this world anymore. So I appreciate the ones that I do have around me and he's one of them. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a motorcycle run and a car show. Uh, yep. October 2nd, 2021. Uh, and I believe, be yeah, and, the, and there's another, and there's another uh, fundraiser that ha- has been put together by Kales from the Crypt and the new Crypt restaurant that's going to be opening up in Salem. They're doing something. Tales from the Crypt? To, um, no, that's what they, it, that's what they call how they're raising their funds. It's, okay. It's Kale, it's, her name is Kaylee. So it's Kales from the crypt. And Banner and Banner was a horror fan, so Banner was there, a horror fan. As twisted, well as there a bunch was. of horror people are doing this weird yeah. stuff. Yeah, um, Banner he loved it. zombies. He was a big fan of zombies. He was a big fan of Ghostbusters. He loved Marvel. You know, he's a typical little boy. We're doing but, um, we're doing the raffle baskets where the shock. Yeah, I've already reached out to a few people. Um, James Lamont from it came from the five hundred eight has already been gracious enough to donate some stuff. That we're going to be raffling off at that event. Um, Kale, Kaylee, and the Crypt Restaurant in Salem—they're um, going to be sponsoring a raffle. I believe July. I want to say July seventh. I'm not positive on that, but once I know for sure, I will run those dates as well. Where yeah. they'll be auctioning off um, autographed horror memorabilia, and all funds from that will go towards the Rohat Association as well. Definitely do your cause. Like I said, October 2nd, 2021, 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. is the motorcycle uh, bike-a-thon at event, the event held at uh, the Tri-City Elk Lodge, number 14, that 1915 West Shore Road, Warwick, Rhode Island. Um, contact info. Um, so I'll give you the, the email. If anybody wants to email for questions, would be banner with uh, two N's, B-A-N-N-E-R, smash Rohad, which is R-O-H-H-A-D, at gmail.com. All together, banner smash Rohad at gmail.com. We're accepting, like, horror movies. If anybody's looking to give up some horror movies, we want to get a big willing to, Yeah, anything that anybody's willing to donate would be appreciated. And like I said, all funds raised from this are being donated right to the Rohat Association in yep. memory banner. Music, entertainment, raffles, and more. Tickets are 35 bucks. Proceeds go to Crushing Out Rohad. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, this is not one of those deals. Uh, Matt, Matt Mel wants we wants to do something a little separate. This is different. This is strictly for for Banner. Yeah, I want to try to do something Banner. separate for Corey because he uh, went through a lot, you know. Yeah. But 
so yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, if you got that on your heart out there, pop pop over and check that stuff out. There should be like a, a GoFundMe page or something. There is a GoFundMe um, page. I just don't have. I, I just I don't know. I I think they still have one going that is has been uh an ongoing one. I won't speculate. Uh, it's not but I'm over. not positive. There was a GoFundMe at one point. I just don't know if it's still in effect or not right now. I have to do a little more research, and I have to talk to Corey about that a little more. I don't want to give false information, but don't you I mean, don't go. Don't yeah, do the, the, don't do GoFundMe Alexander Hawks Foundation because that's not the appropriate place. <laughs> no, I shouldn't joke. I was gonna. I was gonna. I don't know what I was going to do. I was going to lose my mind. So anyway. It's just, it's just, it's just a, it's such a hard conversation. And it's difficult. It's a hard it, topic just because it was a child involved. So yeah. It kind of tugs on the heartstrings a little more and kind of puts you back into reality. Um, you know, they always say no parent should have to bury their child. Yeah. And it's true. They really shouldn't have to. And they also shouldn't have to watch their poor kids suffer. Right. And, you know, that poor baby didn't even have a chance to do or experience too much. And it's sad. As much as we don't want to talk about it and you don't want to hear about it, they didn't want to live it. So if, yeah. you, can help them, if you can help them out, help them on out. This is, this is the least we can do in order to be supportive and be there for yeah. him and his family and Banner at this time. And with that being said, you know, go support. Everybody. Go support everybody. So with that being said, um, definitely go check out that banner thing for sure. Check out our guest, Karando Mitsutaki. Fantastic. You know, go support that dude to the to the to the to the to the hills and the skies and beyond. And then there's this other little group out there called the Boombastic People. It's a small little organization, a civilization we're trying to raise funds for right now as well. Uh, uh, you know. It's going to be the new Manson commune, I heard. Well, that's how we don't get funds. But you know how it is. Um, long story <laughs> short. serial killer lovers. <laughs> I know. We, we didn't want to get too serious for the folks, but we got too ser- We got a little too serious. But sometimes you gotta. Up, try to lighten it up a little bit. Sometimes you gotta. Sometimes you gotta. I got to be careful. Maybe both of us. In, our hearts are in the right places. People might doubt that sometimes, but our hearts are always in the right place. They are, you know, I, 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 uh, Buddy Butterfuco told me the other day, he said, you know, you guys, you guys over at the shock treatment show, you guys say some shocking stuff, but your hearts are so fantastic. That's what he said to <laughs> yeah. me. I said, what do you want my heart, buddy? What's going on? You're going to cut it you, out and you're going to find it on, you're going to, Cap's going to find it on the black market for sale somewhere. Oh, dark web, dark web <laughs> episode, good. support get out there support karando mitsutaki who's the man the best ever uh go support the banner uh smashes the rohan association and if you've got a little time left in the day support shock treatment with mel and maddie on our facebook page uh we also if you go to the boombastic media youtube page you can see shock treatment tv episodes where you're probably watching this fantastic interview right now and uh 
We also have a Patreon page out there for anybody looking to support the good old cause. You know, if you want to see a new age Charles Manson, Manson family pop up in 2022, uh, put your money where your fucking mouth is. We get some damage done and go support Boombastic Films in the media system at Boombastic Stream. And it's quite beautiful, they say. You can go there, get uh, podcasting things, web show things, and uh, film things, too. Uh, there's multiple tiers, uh, and you will have tiers of joy, uh, after reading these. And there's so many cool different things you can get in all those different brackets. Uh, but we're not going to sell it. You sell that to yourself. You go watch it. It sells itself, ladies and gentlemen. I used to sell Kirby vacuums for a short period of time. And I gave it up to sell something of real value myself to you motherfuckers. <laughs> bullshit. That's what you're selling right now. No, I'm kidding. What, bullshit? Yeah, pretty much. That's how it goes. Uh, you know, everybody support yourself out there. You know, I'm supporting everybody. I got my AI t-shirt on today. Give support. Yeah, support banner, Carando. And if you got a little support left in the chamber for us, Support Chakrima and Mel Mac. It's support small business week, so do just that. Small businesses, baby girl. All right, then. Whoa, we'll catch y'all on the next episode of Shock Treatment with Mel and Maddie. Shock treatment has been given for depression for something like 40 years now. It's a very successful and uh, useful treatment for severe depression that doesn't respond to other things. But depatterning is a use of electroshock treatment in a totally different way, in which instead of giving the shocks, say, two or three times a week, uh, they're given two or three times a day for three or four weeks, reducing the patient to a sort of animal, vegetable state from which it's hoped that they would recover in a, uh, a more healthy state of mind.